before we read the word. Heavenly Father, you are the one that we praise. You are the one we adore. And Father, only you give the healing and grace our hearts always hunger for. Lord, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to sing that this morning. I thank you for its truth. I thank you for the truth that we find also in your word, particularly in the book of Habakkuk. And I pray that you will bless the reading of your word. I pray that you will bless the preaching of your word. Thank you so much that you not only provide healing and grace, but you provide your word for us. I pray that your word will be something that I hunger for, that all of us hunger for, and that maybe today will be a real encouragement in that direction. In Jesus' name, amen. Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Habakkuk's complaint. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you look idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous and justice, so justice goes forth perverted. The Lord's answer. Look among the nations and see wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own, They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, and all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff. At rulers they laugh, they laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men, whose own might is their God. This is the word of the Lord. Did anybody notice what a beautiful day it was yesterday outside? After the rain, the crispness of the air? Were you outside working too much and you you didn't even notice it? It was just gorgeous yesterday. Just a beautiful, beautiful day. Very thankful for the Lord allowing us to live in such a beautiful place and for the rain that we've had this winter, uh, for the beautiful, crisp air and, and beautiful day that we had yesterday. 
Habakkuk was unique among the prophets because he did not speak for God to the people, but rather spoke to God about his people and nation. The way God normally works in the Old Testament through his prophets is he gives his prophets a message for the people. It's usually something like repent and repent and repent. And then they take that message to the people. But Habakkuk stands out because what we really have in this short book that we're going to look at today and in three sermons, just three weeks here, what we really have in this little book is his own spiritual journal where he is speaking to God about the conditions on the ground in ancient Israel. So before we get to the passage, just a few uh, comments about what's going on on the ground and background here as we transition to this new series and to this new book. Habakkuk was written in about the year 600 B.C. And Israel has been divided. The northern kingdom uh, has... Uh, In the year 722, the northern tribes have been taken into captivity. So Habakkuk is in the south. And it is a bad time in the nation of Israel, the southern part of Israel known as Judah. It, It is a bad time. And he is seeing all kinds of terrible things around him. And he cries out to God on behalf of what he is seeing. There is massive violence and injustice going on among the people of God. Let's take a look at the first four verses here where he cries out. We have a very brief introduction in verse 1. Hopefully you have your Bibles open to Habakkuk chapter 1. This brief introduction, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. And now we have in verses 2 through 4, we have his prayer. We have his complaint or his lament, or his crying out to the Lord. Let's look at it, verses 2-4. through How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? How long must I call, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. So let's notice a few things here in this prayer. Number one, it begins, how long, O Lord, must I call for help? Habakkuk has been in the desert. He has been crying out to God for a lengthy period of time. And it is as though God doesn't exist. It's like he's absent. And what he has been crying out about is the violence that's going on in Judah amongst the people of God. The people who have power, the people who have authority, are abusing the poor and the weak. And there are murders going on. There is physical violence going on. But there is no justice. 
There's no one at the end of 911. You and I have, have never really lived in a culture like that. Imagine what it would be like living in an ancient theocracy. God is ruling, He's given His law to be applied. But the law is not being applied. There's violence going on. People are being killed. And the people who are doing the killing, nothing is happening. Imagine seeing your friends, your neighbors, your brothers and sisters who also love this covenant-keeping God, some of them being wiped out by other fellow Israelites. How long must I call out for help, but you don't listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. And this save is referring to physical deliverance from the violence that is going on. You don't seem to intervene. It seems like you're absent. It seems like you're not even there, God. As I was preparing this week and and meditating and trying to saturate my mind and heart with the Word of God, I I was struck. First of all, we're back in the Old Testament now. We've been in 1 Corinthians for 30-some weeks and been in the New Testament for 30-some weeks, and now we're into this more obscure place in the Old Testament. And I was looking... Uh, at the Hebrew Bible, at this word that's translated violence in verse 2. Or cry out to you, violence. And I was actually really surprised. It shows I'm not very familiar with the Hebrew Bible compared to the Greek New Testament. The word for violence here, this is kind of an aside in this message here. We're doing a little parenthetical pause. Is that okay, church? Okay. So the, the word for violence here is Hamas. A word that has been in the news and, and, and on our websites. It is uh, the word, Hebrew word, Hamas. And so I'm kind of scratching my head and thinking, okay, so there's these Arab people who hate the Jews and hate freedom, this terrorist organization called Hamas. What's going on? I, I, I didn't know that. So, I'm, I, I, so I did what everyone does, right? You go to Google to find out what's going on. And I found an article in an Israeli-English newspaper. Some of you may be familiar with it. It's called Haaretz, The Land, but it's an English-Israeli paper. And it talked about this, this bitter, ironic providence. Okay, so Let me just read to you a little bit from this, this article. This is an article written a year or two ago. It's pretty safe to assume that the Islamic terrorist organization that controls the Gaza Strip didn't conduct market research on the meaning and resonance of the organization's name in Hebrew before choosing to call itself Hamas. The Arabic name of the group is widely described as an acronym for, uh, I need a Talbot to pronounce this for me, uh, Harakat al-Makawama al Islamia, Islamic resistance movement, as well as an Arabic word meaning zeal. But unlike Islamic Jihad, say, or Al-Qaeda, the name Hamas is not just an Arabic term or an English translation of one. It also happens to mean a Hebrew word meaning violence, among other things. So do you get that? So this, this word Hamas is an acronym in Arabic for whatever that says uh, up there in, in Arabic. Hamas, the Hebrew word, has been around since antediluvian times. In fact, it was one of the reasons God flooded the earth, according to Genesis, and the earth was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with Hamas, was filled with violence. 
So back to our text. Is that an ironic providence? Back to our text here. The Hebrew word here in verse 2. Habakkuk, this prophet, who is a unique among prophets, and we have his spiritual journal here, he is crying out, Hamas! But you don't save. Where are you? You seem absent, God. Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are all around. Look at verse 4. The law, the Torah, the books of Moses, it's paralyzed. And justice... Mishpat, the Hebrew word here, used all over the place in the Old Testament, over 400 times, something that is at the very heart of God. It is beyond fairness. Justice doesn't prevail. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. So Habakkuk is crying out to God. We see his heart. One of the first things that we... We learn here in verses 1 through 4, when God seems absent, when he seems far from us, we need to cry out to him with honesty. There's this massive honesty here in this lament, in this complaint. But there's also reverence and respect that, that Habakkuk is showing. Now, as I've said, as we read a passage like this, we have to, we have to think more broadly. We, we shouldn't just, well, things aren't like this for us and we don't have this kind of neighbors being wiped out and this kind of violence going on. Um, we, we have to think more broadly in applying the word of God or perhaps some of you can, can even connect with that. I don't know. So as I think more broadly about how to connect with, with Habakkuk's cry, when God seems absent and things are going wrong, it's, it's not so much in societal injustice that you and I might experience and connect with, but it's more individual levels of injustice where God seems far away, where God seems distant, and we cry out to him. give you an example from this man. Um, his name is Paul Miller. He's on the right in this photo. His wife, Jill, and his adult daughter, Kim, here are, are pictured. And he, like all of us, has gone through a desert season in life like Habakkuk. Where are you, God? You seem distant. You don't seem involved. And he writes about this in his book, which I highly recommend this book, A Praying Life. It's incredibly personal. Uh, I'm not sure I've read a book where someone takes you just into the intimacies of their lives and the struggles in their lives. And I want to share with you part of his struggle when God seems so far away from him. Again, I'm trying to connect. We see societal injustice here, but you and I, we see injustice in our individual lives and in in different ways than in the entire society. So listen to this. He writes this in his book. He says, when Jill was pregnant with Kim, in the photo here, she prayed using Psalm 121, asking God to keep her baby from all harm. Next to the psalm, Jill wrote the date, August 1981. And she started praying this prayer. When Kim was born, everything went wrong. The doctor gave Jill too much Pitocin, a drug to induce labor, and then left her unattended. I'd seen my wife go through three childbirths, but this one, this one was very different. She was in agony. The doctor never came back to the delivery room. That can be a problem. Then Kim was born blue, And her first APGAR score was low. She looked different to me. 
I called Jill's parents from a payphone at the hospital. Something's wrong with the baby, I said, and burst into tears. We had no clear diagnosis of what was wrong. We wouldn't until Kim was 19 years old. So we, like most parents of disabled children, were operating (coughs) in the dark. We didn't know if Kim was hurt from birth or if she had some kind of disorder. We were young, confused, and afraid. In time, Jill began to hate the dreaded charts that described what your child should be doing at what age. Some doctors encouraged us, saying Kim was was fine. Uh, Others didn't. One neurologist at a major medical center wondered if Jill had beaten Kim. We were overwhelmed with the number of problems Kim had, and new ones just kept coming. Her muscle tone was floppy. Her eyes didn't focus. She had pneumonia. She had trouble breathing, especially in the winter, becoming listless when we turned on the heat. Her breathing problem was so pronounced that we used the last of our savings to convert to electric baseboard heat. For the next 20 years, we lived paycheck to paycheck. It was agony, especially for Jill. She had prayed that God would keep him from harm. Habakkuk has been praying, Lord, deliver us, save us from this. She had prayed that God would keep Kim from harm, but we were holding a harmed child. At one point, I told Jill, why don't you just give Kim to God? She told me, Paul, every day I take Kim up in my arms, walk her up to the foot of the cross, and then turn my back and come down again. It would have been easier for us if Jill had not prayed that Kim would be kept from harm. The promise of God actually made it worse. It hurt to hope. This is an individual case of injustice that is going on. God seems so far away. Habakkuk sees this societal injustice and God seems so far away. I'm going to leave you hanging for just a few moments here with what's gone on, but we'll come back to to um, the Millers and their situation. But let's look now at God's response. Short passage today. Habakkuk has cried out to God. Now let's look at God's response to Habakkuk. Verse 5. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians or the Chaldeans, another name for the same people. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. Let's pause here for just a moment. I'm not sure if you're hearing what he's saying. Habakkuk has just cried out for rescue. Where are you, God? People are being slaughtered. And God is saying, I am going to raise up this wicked people, this ruthless people, and they are going to sweep across the whole earth, including Judah, and seize dwelling places and take you out. 
from Habakkuk's perspective, things have just gotten a lot worse. He's asking for, for rescue, and God says judgment is coming through the Babylonians. God, as he always does, makes good on his promise. This was written, we think, around 600 B.C., and there were several invasions, but by 586, these powerful people, uh, the superpower, if you will, the United States of America, but acting like ISIS. They've got all the weapons and all the power. They can take out anybody. This is who is going to come. This is who's coming to Judah. This is the response of Habakkuk's cry out to the Lord. Let's finish looking at his response. We've looked through verse 6. He's seizing dwelling places, not their own. These people who are sweeping across the whole earth. Verse 7, they are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind, verse 9, and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture those cities. They capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty men, these these Chaldeans, these Babylonians, guilty men whose own strength is their God. So the, the people of Judah have gone astray. And now these people who have even gone further astray, this idolatrous people are coming to take you out. Should we stand for benediction? We see in this response that you and I should be prepared for an answer that looks and feels like no. This is an answer that not only looks and feels like no, but but it seems like things are going to get a lot worse, and in some ways they are. But God is not a God of judgment alone. He is going to judge them, and the, the Judahites have gone astray, and so judgment is coming to them. It is what they deserved. But God is caring for Habakkuk, Just as God was caring for the Miller family in this more individual case of individual injustice, in this terrible case of societal injustice, we're going to see that God is actually working in Habakkuk's life. It's going to take time for us to see it. It's really not until the third week, the third chapter, that we see Habakkuk really change. My point here, and this is going to be a three-week series, so you're going to leave a few things hanging, but the main point here is that God is with us even when he seems very absent, and you and I need to be prepared for answers that look and feel like no, and like God is not here. 
I want to come back to the story of the Millers. They're praying Psalm 121, praying that there would be no harm. We fast forward now, no harm to their baby. Now we fast forward many, many years. We read to you again from, from his book. He writes, very early on, Jill and I were aware that because of Kim, God was humbling us, making us more like his son. Kim, their daughter, saved our family, beginning with me, he says. God used Kim to wake me up spiritually. I'd been thinking about leaving the inter, inner city school where I was a teaching principal to expand our tax business. I'd open up another office and I realized I could make money. Nothing wrong with that, but at the same time, my heart was bending away from God. After Kim was born, that all evaporated. And six months later, I prayed I could work with my dad and help him organize his missions work. In the fall, he called Jill, asking her to help him. I volunteered, and in the winter of 1983, we started World Harvest Mission together. It would not exist without the gift of Kim. The pressure of a child with Kim's version of autism, pervasive development disorder, is at times overwhelming. That pressure, combined with other frustrations, led Jill in 1991 to challenge me, to challenge her husband, if I loved her. That was the beginning of my journey into the life of Jesus that led to the book, Love Walked Among Us, the Person of Jesus Study, and the ministry of cjesus.net. That's S-E-E. Kim is the reason Jill and our daughter Ashley became special ed teachers. We now spend our summer vacations at Johnny and Friends Camps, a camp for adults with disabilities. Jesus was drawing us down low where he lived. It seemed like he's absent. They came to him, this family, with honesty and reverency. They weren't really prepared, like most of us are not, for an answer that that looks like no and looks like God is not absent. But what God is doing is he's drawing this family down to a place of humility and trust in Jesus. And we're going to see that he's essentially doing the same thing in the life of Habakkuk. And we're going to see this in the third chapter in that Habakkuk's press, uh, perspective has dramatically changed from this complaint and this, this reverent but somewhat accusatory prayer in verses 1 through 4. Jesus was drawing us down low where he lived. He goes, I'm going to read a little bit more from, from this. Remember Kim's seasonal breathing problem? Ten years later, when we sold our house, so they haven't been using the furnace because they switched this electrical baseboard heating. Remember that? Ten years later, when we sold our house, we discovered that our gas furnace that they hadn't been using had been improperly installed. Kim's weakened condition had made her particularly susceptible to the effects of carbon monoxide gas that was filling our house. She was like one of those canaries the miners use to detect dangerous fumes. Kim kept us from harm. Years later, when Kim was about 20, I was sitting at the dining room table writing a Bible study on Psalm 121 that I was going to teach to our small group. I had forgotten about Jill's 
Psalm 121 prayer. I looked up from the table and said, Jill, God did it. He did it. He kept us from all, all harm. He did Psalm 121. We had thought the harm was a daughter with disabilities. But this was nothing compared to the danger of two proud and willful parents. Because Kim was mute, Jill and I learned to listen. Her helplessness taught us to become helpless too. Kim brought Jesus into our home. Jill and I could no longer do life on our own. We needed Jesus to get from one end of the day to the other. We'd asked for a loaf of bread, and instead of giving us a stone, our Father had spread a feast for us in the wilderness. Thank you, Jesus, for Kim. When we don't receive what we pray for or desire, it doesn't mean that God isn't acting on our behalf. Did you hear that, church? Did you hear that, church? When we don't receive what we pray for or desire, it doesn't mean that God isn't acting on our behalf. This is one of the messages of Habakkuk. This is one of the messages from their life and their story. Rather, he's weaving his story. God is weaving a story. He's weaving a story here about the people of God in Judah. He's weaving a story that involves Habakkuk. And he's weaving a story that involves you and me. Now, sometimes God does miraculous things. And that's what we, that's what we tend to talk about the most. And he answers our prayers, and I am very thankful for that. But very often, God seems absent. And we cry out to him, and things get worse. And we need to be prepared that it may take 10 years or 20 years to see, or we may not even see in this life, how God has responded to our prayers. But he is looking for you and me to be faithful. last few minutes, I just want to connect this text with the New Testament. When God seems absent, the power of the risen Jesus is sufficient for you to worshipfully endure anything. Anything. To endure what Habakkuk endured, to endure what the Millers endured, to endure what I'm aware, just a few of you, of what you have been enduring recently. There's been a lot of enduring of hardship in our church in recent days and weeks. The power of the risen Jesus is sufficient. As we read the Old Testament, we need to connect it with the gospel, with the, with the truths of, of the gospel. Familiar passage, Philippians 4. Paul writes, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances, whether there's societal violence whether we have a baby that we did not ask for. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Jesus Christ is the one who sees us through. Even when God seems absent, even when our prayers seem to bring about 
a more complicated and a worse scenario than what we had before we began praying. And then finally, you know, the, 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 the weakness of, of reading, this is a great book, this, this book by Paul Miller, the, but the weaknesses of reading books like that is a lot of times we don't have these incredible insights 10 or 20 years later to, to, to what's gone wrong. Sometimes we don't get that. They got that. Praise God, they got that. But sometimes we don't. And so even if we don't get this clarity to why this has gone on, why he seems so absent, why things have gotten worse after I have been praying, we have hope in that our Lord and Savior is coming back. And whether it is societal injustice or whether it is individual injustice, whether it is a child born with suffering and physical defects, if you will, there is coming a day Jesus is coming. We are called to be praying that he would be coming soon where all local levels of injustice and societal injustice are going to be gone. Amen? They are going to be gone. And so even if we don't get the kind of insights that God blessed the Miller family with, we can go on. This guy, uh, Richard Felix, was the president of Azusa Pacific University. He watched his wife die slowly of cancer. He wrote this. He said, It is possible to stand on the cusp of our very worst fears, endure the nightmare of their coming true, and find that on the other side we have been transformed rather than destroyed. Thousands of people praying for this guy's wife to be healed. She had a long, miserable, ending in death bout with cancer. It didn't take him down. Because the Lord Jesus transformed him through this. He didn't miraculously heal his wife. He could have, but he didn't. The Lord Jesus saw him through this and transformed him. We're going to see transformation in Habakkuk when we get to chapter 3. This is what he's looking for in you and me when God seems very far away. We need to cry out to him with honesty and reverence. We need to be prepared for an answer that looks and feels like no. The power of the risen Jesus is sufficient for you and me. And finally, Jesus is coming soon. Both societal and individual injustices will be no more. I close by reading this passage. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men. And He will live with them. They will be His people. And God Himself will be with them and be their God. He who overcomes will inherit all this. That's you and I who persevere by faith to the end. He who overcomes will inherit all this and I will be His God and He will be my son. She will be my daughter. But the cowardly 
the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers in ancient Judah, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Our God is not a God who ignores injustices. There is justice that is coming. And for those who by faith nor the Lord Jesus, we will be living forever and ever and ever in His presence. And we will not need to pray Psalm 121 over our children in the womb. We will not be left in the dark about why this happened and why you seem so far away. The Lord Jesus is going to be right in our midst. I'm praying that He would come soon. Let's bow our heads and and pray that together. Father in heaven, Lord, I know there are many here that are in a desert of sorts. Different than the Miller family, different than Habakkuk, but in a place where you seem far away, where things may seem to be getting worse, where prayers seem to not be answered. Lord, help us to be patient and to wait. Lord, we're thankful for the freedom that we have to cry out to you and to be honest, brutally honest, that we can cry out to you violence. We can cry out to you whatever it is that is going on and you hear us. Lord, I pray especially for those who are suffering now that you would be sustaining them in the coming days and not only sustaining them, but that you would be transforming them. That we would be brought low, that you would be lifted up. And that like the Apostle Paul, we would know the secret of contentment, which is simply knowing and trusting and loving Jesus, our Lord. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.